I mean, really, uh, what you, when you think about this song, this is amazing grace. This, this is unfailing love. My love for you will fail more than not fail. His love has never failed and will never fail. How do I know that? Because Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. His resurrection corroborates everything he said. God, how I want to believe that more than I do. I doubt often. God doubts never. He never says, you know, I'm really concerned about having open Frank Loria's eyes. He, he is sure about all things. The, the scripture even says when we are, listen, this is 1 Timothy, when we are faithless, as, as being in the wheelbarrow, being in Christ. I'm sorry I don't have all my props up here this morning. It feels naked up here. Um, but when we are faithless, he is ever faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. In other words, what he's saying here is to deny you, Frank, in me would be to deny myself. And I'm not going to deny myself. Do you, do you see the security in that? The great, amazing grace, unfailing love that is ours in Christ. And that is not in my notes one bit, but it is still true. And so if the Bible is true and the resurrection of Jesus is as well, Jesus' promise of sending his Holy Spirit to bring new life to us by the Spirit is also true. The new life that we receive by being born again of the Spirit empowers us to do three things. And I want you to write these down. This is Ken Boa, just a great little pithy statement. The Spirit allows us to do three things. One, love God completely. Love God completely. And that's, again, and that's God's work in us to love Him. That's not me trying to grunt out something of my nebulous quasi-goodness to do. To one, love God completely. Two, love ourselves correctly. Well, I mean, imagine the psychiatrists and the psychologists and the counselors that would lose their jobs, right? If we love God completely, because you know what that allows us to do? Click, love ourselves correctly in light of God's love. And then third, love others compassionately. See, this, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the ongoing from discomfort zone to comfort zone to greater discomfort zone to greater comfort zone, that maturity that takes place in all of us. It, if, why is the world in such a mess? Because it doesn't love God. Okay? I mean, that's it. Because if I truly know the love of God, I will truly know how he loves me and I will love myself out from his love for me and not my pathetic love for me or the way you feel about me. And when I'm loving God 
and able to correctly then for love myself, I will compassionately love others. Because I can't be any more secure than what I am because the God who created all things says, you, Frank Loria, are perfectly loved by me. You're not perfect, Frank. Won't be till you're with me. But I love you perfectly. I can't love you any more than I do and I won't love you any less than I do. Can there be better news than that? I don't believe so. Matter of fact, I'm confident. So this is the work of God's spirit. And this is why we're here, to learn more of him. And if we have yet to, today, to be the day we say I do to him. I mean, that's the great opportunity in front of us again today. To respond to Jesus's I do. And at that very moment of surrender, at that, that very moment of surrendered reception, he makes you and me brand new, totally alive, completely and forever forgiven, and always accepted. The tax bill is forever paid. And what could be better than that? So, what does he do? Well, the initial and vital, most vital work of the Holy Spirit is to birth us into God's kingdom, to give us new life in Christ. If that doesn't happen, nothing else does. So I, I'm sorry, I'm just too, I'm too insecure without my, my cups are in here. Okay, good, here they are. Okay. They, they hide these things because they are so valuable. <laughs> this is the, I don't, I'm on a tight budget they don't give me I mean, Frank you can have two styrofoam cups and that's all you're getting um, but, I, but I hope you see through the simplicity of this without being in Christ if I'm still in Adam there is no life okay, do we understand that? again, go to the morgue that's what it looks like spiritually Stiff, dead, blind, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't feel. There is no life. That is no life. And the Spirit gives us life. So what does Jesus say about himself that the Holy Spirit does? Well, you'll see in, in your manual, because I promise you I'm going to be in there, that he, and I mentioned this very briefly, that he is God's real estate agent. All right? Now, using that in a different way. He is God's real estate agent. No budget. Uh, agent. He shows us our real estate, our real status before, before God. Let me get back to where I was here. So, and what, so what does he do? He comes. He comes to reveal our status. When he comes, here's our real estate. He comes to convict the world, those in Adam, concerning the fact that we're in sin. The fact our status in righteousness is that we are unrighteous. And that there is an eternal judgment to come for those of us, of us who die in the dash without Christ. And it, it, so that, that there shouldn't be, if this is the truth, there's no more sobering truth than this if I am in Adam. But God sent his spirit to convict. What's another word for convict? I mean, we think of convict as a negative thing, right? I mean, you go to court, you've been convicted 
of this. Okay, whether you, whether you believe you did it or not, you've been convicted of it. What's another good word that could be used here? That, thank you, Charles. Convinced. He comes to convince. When you're convinced of something and committed, you, you believe this. I believe this about my sin. I believe this about my unrighteousness. I believe this about a coming judgment. But now I believe that Jesus paid my bill. He gave me the life I could not have myself. And he changed my address. He gave me a new life in himself and placed me into himself. So he is God's real estate agent. He is God's activator. Okay. Jesus says this. It's the spirit. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Now, do you see this? Now, this, this? This should really help us in terms of our thinking. We can do something to earn our way to heaven. Look, there's, again, I, I want to be very respectful here, and I, and I, and I mean that. I, I think you guys know me by now. I'm not interested in denigrating anything but lifting up the word of God. And what the, if the word of God lifts something up and something else falls down because of that, well, then blame the word of God. But, but this, is what, this is what Jesus said. It's the spirit who gives life the flesh. That is our natural efforts, is what he's saying, is of no help at all. <laughs> okay, could he be more clear here? The spirit gives you life, Frank Gloria. Your efforts don't give you life. Nobody, no religious ceremony can put you in a status of grace. And any religious ceremony that I know of that puts you in a status of grace also says you can unstatus yourself from grace to where you somehow have to work your way back up to a state of grace. Well, that's me having to do something to sustain something that I know good and well, and you know good and well you can't do. It's the spirit, Jesus said, who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And so that it's just so important to see this. I wrote in your manual here. Um, Jesus is confirming in this statement that there is nothing anyone can do to make themselves acceptable to God and suitable for heaven. He mic drops with this statement. The flesh is of no help at all. What do you think that means? I mean, if someone were to come up to you and say, say hey, G Jesus said this, the spirit gives life, the flesh is of no help at all. Okay, remove every religious barrier or conception or forethought or presupposition. What does that say? It's, well, I would say then... It's, if he's coming to give life, that must mean that someone doesn't have life and he's the one who gives it. And that if the flesh means your effort, you can't do anything to get it. And it seems pretty clear. But we've got to get to the place where we believe that. Where we drop, like we talked about last week, like I talked about Tuesday, our ego. And the, this illusion of control. And realize that there is only one who's fully in control. And that is not you, and that is not me, and that is not any human that's walked the planet. And so, and I said, I, I kind of le left out this, this, the God activator thing. I kind of jumped over that to God's life giver. But 1 Corinthians 1.30 
says this, it is by his doing that, are you, in Christ, that you are in Christ Jesus. It's by whose doing? I'm sorry. It, it says, it is by his doing that you are in Christ Jesus. He is the one who initiates. And so this is, this is most essential for you and me. And we, I, I'm, I'm drawing from Pastor Peter Davidson's wonderful alliteration here that really helps us see the progression of the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Well, he warns us about our true condition before God, right? The Spirit come, when the Spirit comes, he will convince the world concerning sin. He warns us about our true condition before God. Then, as he warns us, he warns us because he wants to woo us. He gets our attention, and then he wants to draw us. He woos us to turn from our sins and our shame and turn to him. And then he wins us to accept the life of forgiveness and unconditional acceptance found in and offered only by Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was saying something very difficult in John chapter 6, where we were just there a minute ago, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, do you wish to leave me off also? And Jesus said to, uh, pardon me, and his disciples said to them, Lord, where will we go? They understood this by the Spirit. You alone have the words of eternal life. And so he warns, he woos, and he wins. Okay, let's first, let's just look about warning. Now, we, how many warnings do we get through life? I mean, particularly now with the abundance, you know, we live in a litigious society. I mean, I, Your Honor, you've lived through so much. I guess you've seen probably more loss, maybe more lawsuits in the, in the last five years and you did maybe 50 years. I mean, we just, we're just so happy. And so manufacturers have to protect themselves, right? So we got warning labels now everywhere, don't we? Warning labels. And so here's some real warning labels here that you have to, that you want to see. Caution, remove child before folding. Um, here, here's another warning label. Never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level. I mean, this is, what part of the world is this? I, it's in English, so. Uh, do not iron while wearing shirt. I, I mean, may irritate eyes. I mean, come on, why'd you buy the thing to begin with? may irritate eyes. I mean, just remove the word may. I mean, it's, uh, am I, okay. not intended for highway use. <laughs> it's just, yeah, right. Yeah, just get in. Jesus will outrun anything that comes your way. There we go. That's a good point. So it's, so, I mean, just crazy, crazy warnings. Now here's a warning that seemed crazy, but was not crazy. That was a warning. Do you know, it's interesting. It was April 15th, 1912, 111 years ago today that the Titanic went down. So the crew aboard the SS Masaba, now the, the Masaba was a British ship. Uh, it tried to warn the Titanic, actually got the message, you are in iceberg waters. The temperature of the water was 28 degrees. Now, I, I learned this. I didn't know this, but 
Salt water freezes at 28.4 degrees. I'm sure you all knew that. Yes, of course. Um, But the Titanic was warned there are icebergs. Be on the alert. But those alerts never reached the bridge. And the Titanic just full steam ahead to the horrific death. What a warning that went unlistened to. And it cost the lives of thousands. I think thousands of people died on the Titanic that day. Can there be a more important warning than the warning to avoid death? How we avoid death. Not just physical death, but death forever. And the Apostle Paul tells us that without Christ... We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're following the course of this world. We're in Adam still. Uh, We're following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we are under Satan's dominion is what the Bible says. Remember, Jesus even said to the, the most religious rulers, you are of your father, the devil. Your lineage is of that of Adam. Therefore, your lineage is that of spiritual death and separation from God And therefore, you are under the power and the dominion and the right place by being an Adam, of being in death. And the Spirit, again, shows us, using the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Ephesians, we're living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You know, just eating, drinking, and being merry. Because we're not even thinking we're ever going to die. And then we are by nature, by nature, Spiritual nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And we, t- we talked about these scriptures here. The wages of sin is death. That all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is not one of us, right? Not even one. I mean, how deeply does that have to sink into us before we realize that's... He's talking about me. And yeah, the scripture is talking about you and me in our desperate place. And that Jesus says, I truly, again, truly, truly. I mean, he's, he's making the point here. He's repeating it. Truly, truly. This is the truth. This is the truth. Listen up. Unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I think we're understanding, I hope we're understanding now what Jesus meant. Why do I have to be born again? Because the first time I'm born, I'm born physically alive, spiritually dead. I have to be born again because if I am not born again, I'm going to die in my sins as a child of Satan, in darkness, still separated from God, lifeless. If I'm not born a second time, if I'm not born spiritually, I'm not going to see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see. Why? Because dead men don't see. And dead men don't hear. And dead men can't do anything. When you're born again, the kingdom of God, and I'm going to talk about this in, the next, in the, our next section, the kingdom of God, actually, the king of his dominion by the Holy Spirit comes and makes his reside in us and he gives us his life and he comes into us. And we receive 
eternal life that doesn't go away. In the book I, I wrote here, it said, God initiated the rescue mission to redeem each of us to himself. And if not for this intervention, you and I would continue running to the edge of the cliff, finally jumping off into the arms of Satan's everlasting dominion of death. Okay, so if you think about life in the dash, and this is the beginning of life, and this is the end of life, running to the end of the cliff would be running to the end of the dash without Christ jumping off into the line for an eternity apart from God. So he, his, his job is to, to woo us. He wants to woo us. This is what John says. It's for, for our sake, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes on all of our sin, all of our sinfulness, all of our DNA in Adam, and he makes us brand new that we might become, when God looks at me, he sees us in Christ as righteous because he wants to woo us to him. His desire, he's not, he is not put off by our spiritual death and separation. His, this, this is what is so cool. Kind of grasp this with me. So God is not put off by, of course, he's, he, as a result of our sin, we're dead and separated from him. But he doesn't run from our sin. He runs to our sin. He runs to us, the sinner. He warns us, you're, but because you're a sinner, I'm not running. I'm coming to give you my life. He woos us to him. And even when, even when I continue to sin, he continues to come for me. It's, it's like, you know, you think about a, uh, a fireman. Uh, what's the job of a fireman? Put out fires. That's what that they do. And so if you're, if, let's just say you're making breakfast one morning and you forget your toast in the toaster and it, the toast catches on fire and the next thing you know it catches the wall on fire next to it and you've just been dumb and the house is on fire. Well, does the fireman first say, how did the fire start? How stupid was the person that started the fire? That's going to determine whether or not I approach. No, the job of the fireman is to run to the fire. And so when you and I continue to cause these fires through our life, God continues to come for us. He doesn't go, nope, that sucker's burning to the ground this time. He runs to us. He, he woos us. And, and that's, that's what he does. So he, he warns us. He, he woos us. Um, again, he comes to give us eternal life. It's what, it's what he, he does. For our sake. See that? For our sake. Isn't that good? For our sake. We're in desperate help. But because of his love, he gave Christ. He ran to our fire and put out our eternal fire. Now, we can sit in the house while the fire's going down and be consumed with it. Or we can let the fireman grab us 
and submit to him and let him take us from that burning building that will burn us down into a Christless eternity. Do you see that? Even when the building's burning down, we can hold on to the newel post of the step and say, "Uh uh-uh, I got this. Yeah, you're about to get this. Or we can surrender and let him rescue us from an eternally burning building. We need to know that. I need, we all need to know that. So, again, God initiated the rescue mission. We set the fire. God's mission was already in place to redeem us from the fire. And then he comes, he comes to win us. We're at the bottom of uh, page six. Either Jesus Christ is going to win us or Satan will win us. It's just as simple as that. And that sounds severe, but it sounds severe because it is severe. Either one or the other will win us. I wrote here, born again in Christ. I don't think this is on the screen. We receive an experience. This is more of Ephesians chapter 2. God being rich in mercy. I mean, I, I, you know, I know Bill Gates is rich. Uh, I know Bezos is rich. I know a bunch of people are rich. They're paupers compared to what this rich is talking about. They may be rich, but those men are not rich in mercy. You and I need mercy. And God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I, I wish we could do more than the English here to come up with the word rich in, words rich in mercy, the great love which he loved us. It's so much bigger than you and I horizontally understand this. So that, pardon me, and that he raised us up with him, right? We were dead in our trespasses. We were in Adam. He made us alive in Christ. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show, uh, he might show the immeasurable, (laughs) immeasurable, that means it can't be measured, riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So good. So, so good. I mean, we just sit there and meditate on, you just sit there at your tables later on, just Wow. Just soak that in. I just encourage you tonight before you go to bed. Just, just hold on to that. Just as you're getting ready to go to sleep, say, God, give me a bigger picture of your mercy. Give me a picture, bigger picture of your great love. Like, give me a picture of just how dead I was so that your great love will be even greater than it is. Show me what it means to be alive in Christ. God, thank you. Thank you. I know, and you say that in the world to come, there are immeasurable riches of your grace. Immeasurable riches of your grace. To Titus... Paul wrote this, he saved us, get this, not because of works done by us in our own righteousness. Okay, you understand that? In other words, the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but... According to his own mercy, by the washing of 
regeneration and renewal. That's new life of the Holy Spirit giving us life in Christ, taking us out of Adam. He, he saved us. He did that. You didn't save yourself. You and I were not partners with Christ and are having new life. He did it all. It is by his doing. He did this. I wrote here, I think this is in your notes. Maybe it's not. Yes, it is. It says, Jesus' work on the cross that is completed in our spirits continues in our souls and is expressed through our bodies. Okay, you got that? It's completed in our spirits. It continues in our souls and is expressed through our bodies. The word tetelestai is what Jesus cried from the cross. It is finished. I've heard it's an accounting term. I mean, it's paid. The bill is paid. There is no more debt. It is completely eradicated in Christ being. So we need to see this. And I want, and so I want us to understand this because a big question that, that we have, question I have is like, well, if I am now in Christ, why do I continue to sin? I think that's a question that everybody asks. Well, wait a minute. I still, I still sin. I, I just got angry. I just got angry in traffic. I just got angry at my kid. I got just angry at my, my spouse. I just got furious with me. And I'm looking at the news and I'm just ready to erupt. I mean, wow. That, maybe I need to pray that prayer again. Maybe I need to get back in the wheelbarrow. I mean, this is, this, these are the things in which we think. we think. Because we're so used to thinking about what we do determines who we are. Right? So even though I've reckoned out, okay, God, I believe you saved me. I'm in Christ because of everything you did. But I still have this brain that's set on Adam mode. Okay? Are you with me? I have a, though I'm in Christ, I have a brain that's set on Adam mode. It's thought Adamically. I don't know if that's a word or not. But it's thought that way for decades. My whole life I've thought that way. And this is the work of God's Spirit. So here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul says to help us here. He says, I'm sure of this. Now, he's writing to the church, those who are in Christ in, the, in Philippi. He says, I'm sure of this, that he, that's Christ, the Holy Spirit, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. Now, wait, didn't Jesus just say it's finished? Yeah, he did. And it is finished. But the work that's finished is still being finished while we're in these still, frail, capable of sinning bodies. He will complete it at the day of Christ. The day you're with Jesus, we, the scripture says we put off all sin, this old body, and we receive a new body, and we are completed in Christ. So there's a process that's taking place here. Here, here's what Paul wrote again to the Philippians. He says, not that I've already obtained this, meaning perfection is what he's saying, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, has made. Now, he's saying, I'm not perfect yet in the way I act and think and feel and choose, but I press on to make that perfection in Christ my own because Christ has made me his own. You see that? Christ already accepted fully, but God is doing a work to complete us. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he says, I know I'm in Christ, but I also know that there's still a battle that rages in my mind. Is that making sense? And Paul is saying, yes, it's done. You're securing Christ. As secure as your child is that you are their parent, or as secure as you are that he is or she is your child, they are, that, is, that son is perfectly your son. But he is not your perfect son. Do you understand that? The son can't be... Vincenzo, that's your son's name. He is perfectly the son of Annabelle and Vince. But he ain't perfect. But he can't be any more your son than he is. Do you see the difference? It's so important to see the difference. So am I just beating this unnecessarily and you got this 100%? Okay, good, I am. All right. So, so he's pressing on to be who he is. You may want to talk about that at your table. And one last one here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. There's that mercy word. How am I coming to him? Because of the mercy to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. How in the world is Paul saying that he is telling us to present ourselves him as living, holy, and acceptable? Because if you're in Christ, how does God see you? That's how he sees you. In Christ. Just, just suck on that for a moment. This is your spiritual worship. And look, he says, since this is true that you're in Christ, don't be conformed to the world like you're still in Adam, but be transformed by the renewal, the renewing of your mind that by testing, by living, by saying no to Adam and yes to who you are in Christ, you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Now, several years ago, I, I, there's a diagram that, that I saw from, from Grace Fellowship. It's that we use the in Adam diagram, and I got from them. This is called the circle diagram. And on, I think on your next page, you've got this. And I want to I kind of run through this real quickly before we pray. And th those lines there, you may want to fill those in. Um, just to, if you want to follow here, because I think it's important to do that. So, so there's argument theologically whether we are body, soul, and spirit, or whether we're spirit, soul, and body. For the sake of this diagram, don't argue with me theologically, please. I think the point gets across. So I think the body, in places the scripture seems to say we are body, soul, and spirit. Now, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Paul prays that you're sanctified body, soul, and spirit, that the, that the word of God separates between soul and spirit. So we're body, that's the outer part of us, okay? Then we're soul, okay? Our, our mind, our thinking. Then also the Bible seems to say that we are spirit, and our spirit relates to God. In our soul, we relate to others. And our body relates to our environment, right? Right now, you're either too cold, too hot, just right, rarely just right. So, I, I, so without Christ, you see, we have no relationship to God. Do you understand that? We're dead to God. 
we still obviously relate to others and we relate to the environment, but we do that from being in Adam. And so let's take this a little bit further. Let's body, soul, spirit. So in the soul, let's say there's the mind, which we think with sometimes. There's the will in which we choose with. And there is emotion. There are our emotions in which we feel with. Okay? So in our soul, mind, will, and emotions. Remember, we said this relates to others. There's the mind of the soul. And I think there's the mind of the spirit as well. And so as we are impacted on by the world that's that arrow coming in there to impact us we we see that we are affected in the so if i'm in christ then i have the spirit of god in me to affect the way i think about that the way i feel about that and the way i choose that is that am I, you with me okay so this the impact from the world, I'm impacted and I have to think about it. Somebody pulls into my lane, okay? We always had to deal with, that, deal with that. Somebody pulls into my lane. Well, what am I going to choose to do? I got to pull over to get out of the person's way. What am I going to think about that? <laughs> what are my emotions going to feel? I may feel fear because of that. And then quickly from that fear comes anger, right? So... But with the Spirit of God in me, I don't have to think that way anymore. I don't have to feel that way anymore. I get, begin to get an understanding of that in Christ, I've got a new regulator. I've got a new chooser here. I can choose now to be who I am, or I can choose to not be who I am. Okay. Now, and so, Spirit affects the soul and the soul affects how the body responds, and the body responds by not flipping off the person that just tried to take me out of my lane, which happened to me. And that told me somebody did that to me the other day. So, so, so here's the important thing. Remember, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay? When Jesus says, it is finished, to tell us die, he meant it is finished. Finished. When God says something's finished, is it finished? It's finished. I have been saved. I could not fit any more into heaven than I do. There's a guy by the name of David Needham, great Bible teacher. He uh, used an analogy once. He says, if somebody walked up to me, put a gun to my head, loaded gun, pulled the trigger, blew my brains out. And if, he, if that person that did that could hear me speak from the other side, he would hear me say, you missed. You missed. See, you, you maybe ended the life of that which was going to end anyway. But you can't touch my spirit. I'm, I'm joined to Christ. I am Christ. Nothing can kill me. That which is born of the Holy Spirit receives the life of the eternal life of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So in my spirit, I have been past completed action, done, deal, saved. Now, in my soul, in the way I think, choose, and feel, it's being finished. Right? We all know that, don't we? What I know is true doesn't always line up with what I do is true or say is true. 
So it is being finished. This is what I find is the problem of so many of us not making this decision to say, yes, Jesus, take over, because we're afraid, I can't, how will I live up to this? How, how will I possibly, you know, rise now to this standard, which is, I mean, that's an oil and water kind of thinking. You, you, you see that, right? It can't be grace and works, because if it's grace and works, it's no longer grace. It's all works. It's either all God or all me. It's not both. It's so important. I need to look. I've been in Christ 40 something, 47 years. I still need to remind me of myself of this still. But that didn't stop me from saying yes to Jesus. That was the work of God's spirit. To draw me to say yes to him. It's finished. It's done. Can't be any more saved than I am. Can't be any more ready for heaven than I am. That's all by his doing. But as I'm still on this planet, there's a mind that's being transformed. There's a will that's being transformed. There's emotions that are being transformed, that are being saved. It's being finished. And then, well, the body's just going to have to wait. It will be finished. This body... Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to get a new body. The perishable will be put off and taken uh, in its place will come the imperishable. That, Paul writes uh, in the first part of uh, the uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we'll put off this earthly tent and receive a building. <laughs> so, you know, I think now as, and then our driving past... You know, under the Carrollton, the Claymore overpass the other day, I'm liking lots of tents, um, not very secure. Um, we're going to put off this very unsecure, open to the elements tent and put on a building whose builder is the Lord of hosts. Is his name. Ma'am, okay, well, can you hold the question just for a minute and I will, and I will get to you, but I'm running out of time. But yes, ma'am, one second. Okay, so... So we see this. It will be finished. Now, so the question here now is, where, where are you? Where are you? You know, it's, I, I started this morning by saying, the bill is due. It's April 15th. I mean, that's the deadline. If you can't get any extensions, that's the deadline. There's coming a day when the bill will be due, and you and I do not know when that day is. If we die in the dash, and the bill, our sin bill, has not been paid, we are going to have to pay it. But we don't have the capital to pay it. Christ came to pay it. Either he pays my bill, or I pay my bill. And when I get to the cashier and I don't have the capacity to pay the bill, there's a place I will go. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I mean, this is harsh, but this is what the scripture says, what Jesus says, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. 
because you never chose me. You chose the pleasure of sin for a moment instead of the joy of being with me forever. And that's the choice. Either our sin totally and completely eradicated, my life in Adam gone forever. We have been warned, we have been wooed. And that is wonderful. But have we been one? And that's the decision that God gives us right now at about 10 after 10 on April 15th, 2023. What is your decision? I had that decision point. We each and every one of us have that decision point. Some of you made that decision. But maybe some of you here have yet to make that decision. Why not let today be the day that you choose? I think I'll choose life over death. I think I'll choose Christ's offer to change me now and forever. And not Satan's offer to steal and to kill and destroy me forever. So I'd like to do this. I like to pray right now. And um, I'm going to just ask you to pray with me. And I'm going to ask you a question. So if you just, just bow your head for a moment. Just There's a scripture that is um, not exactly contextually one of salvation. But I, I will use it here anyway. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I think this is a, a, a good picture. There, there's a painting that shows Jesus standing at a door and knocking. The interesting thing is, on that door, there is no doorknob on the outside. The doorknobs where you and I are on the inside. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone, anyone hears my voice, I will come into them. And live with them. And them with me. You know, there's, there's, there's two ways to not answer a door. One is by telling the person on the other side of the door, go away, I'm not interested. And you actively reject them. Go away, I don't want what you've got. And you actively reject them. Or two, as they knock on the door, you stay very, very quiet, acting as if you're not there, but you're there, and your rejection is every bit rejection. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, and you answer the door, I will come in and I will live with you and be with you. And that's Christ's offer. And I just want to ask you this. And I'm going to ask you just to, just, I'm going to ask you this, to do this with your body. But this is really about you and God. If today you want to say I do to Jesus, 
to get in the wheelbarrow, to receive the gift. If you want Jesus to come in, I just want you to do this. Would you just, just raise your hand to heaven, not to me. Just kind of raise your hand to heaven and say, yes, Lord, today I want you. I want you. I don't want to live in my sin anymore. I don't want to live in my death anymore. I want you. Now, some of you may have done that before, and if you have, Jesus is in. But if you've never done that, again, just raise your hand to heaven and just sense the Spirit of God, Christ in the Spirit of God, just grabbing your hand and grabbing your heart and saying, yes, I'm coming in. I'm going to pray now for you. And if, if you raise your hand, they may want pr some prayer right now. And I'll just encourage anybody to, to just see a hand that's raised. I know some hands were up and have gone down. But you just raise your hand again just for a moment. Um, um, just, just maybe some folks could go around and uh, just pray. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for... The fact that you, you warn, you woo, and you win. Lord, thank you so much for, for amazing love, God, that is given to us unconditionally in Christ. And Lord, whether a hand was raised or not, Lord, you're, you're just an I do away. God, would you open eyes right now? Maybe you're watching a live stream, and I just would encourage you to just right now, right now, don't put it off for another moment. Don't put off for another moment. This is the day that the Lord has made for me to be born again into God's kingdom. Just pray, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. I want you to come in and take control. I relinquish my life to you, Lord. I need you. I want you. I desire you. I have no life without you. Lord, come and change me, body, soul, and spirit, and give me the new life that only you can give me. And I pray this, God. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Now, if you raised your hand, uh, I, I, I want to make sure everyone had the opportunity to be prayed for and with. So, um, if you raised your hand, did you get someone to pray with you? Yes? Okay, well, if not... We're going to take a break in just a moment, and then we'll come back to our tables for some table time, and then we're going to have lunch together as well, and then we'll start the afternoon. But I want to do this um, before we stop. I want you to turn, if you would please, to page uh, 10 in your, in your handout. Particularly for those of you this morning, page 10, for those of you who, who, uh, who just surrendered your life to Christ. Now... Maybe you surrendered your life to Christ during Alpha, all right? And, and, you, and you want to sign this, just change the date. 
I, I love, again, I, I could not, I do not know the date that I surrendered my life to Christ. I, I, I know where I was, but I don't remember the date. But this is, you know, how the country makes a big deal over the Declaration of Independence. Well, in Christ, we make a big deal over the Declaration of Dependence. And it's a declaration of our dependence upon him and gratitude for his life. And so this would be something, and I just want to read this with you right now. Today, April 15th, or just cross it out, put another date, at a particular point in time of the day. It was, it's right now about 11, pardon me, 1020. Wow, it's early. Um, he's, <laughs> uh, he says, I make this declaration of dependence upon Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and only means of salvation. I make this declaration confident that apart from Christ, I am dead in my sins because I am in Adam. And that the only life and work that will rescue me from eternal separation from God is that of Jesus' life and work alone. He alone is my means of overcoming joy in this life, in relationship with him, in the dash, and eternal life with him forever in the next, in the line. I do. I receive the gift. I'm in the wheelbarrow. I am Christ's. Christ is mine. Thank you, my God. And now my Father for saving me. And I want to encourage you, sign that. But don't just sign it. Ask witnesses to sign it with you. Get people to witness that. And you take that thing, frame it, decoupage it, do whatever. I'm not even sure what that is. But do whatever. Keep that in front of you. I am so excited for you. Now, I want to encourage you to do this. If today you surrendered your life to Christ, tell somebody. Okay, I know some you've already done it by raising your hand and have people pray for you. But, man, I would, I would love a chance just to, to see you get to visit with you. We're going to take about, you know, a 10 or 15-minute break. And then uh, we're going to have some table conversation. Uh, and then we're going to break for lunch, okay? All right. Thank you guys for your attention. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching.